0: Luke chapter 22, that's where we're going to begin. We'll be working our way through uh, many verses. We'll be reading the account starting in Luke 22, uh, starting at verse 63, page 883 in your Bibles. We'll read all the way to the end of chapter 23. Start in Luke 22, verse 63, and read all the way. Through chapter 23, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas and the soldiers arrest him and bring him to the high priest and then we pick up the account in verse 63, hearing then the word of God. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming, slandering him. you say that I am, or it could be translated, You are right, I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Crucify him. A third time, he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. This is the word of God. I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be looking at other passages and referring back to this passage this evening. But dear friends, one of the things we take for granted in our society is that legal principle of innocent until proven guilty. It's something that we feel protects us in our country, in our land. The prosecution must prove guilt before punishment can be lawfully rendered and the punishment must fit the crime. These are biblical principles. They come from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy. But in Jesus' crucifixion, there was horrific injustice. There was no guilt in him. Though there were charges made, they were false. And this crucifixion was unlawful, to say the least. This pronouncement that we hear over and over in Luke and in the other Gospels, Concerning Jesus is this, not guilty. The Jewish leaders, however, were determined to make him guilty of crimes worthy of death. They had no charge to bring. The only thing that they could come up with was to twist his words about his statement when he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Even those who made these statements could not agree on what he had said or what he had meant, but they presented him as one who wanted to attack God's holy place and therefore deserving of death because this was a blasphemous act. They wanted him to look seditious. When he spoke these words, however, John tells us in John chapter 2, he was speaking about his body. Jesus did not answer when they asked him to respond to this charge, so they pressed him to confess that he was the Son of God, which they said was a declaration of making himself equal to God and which would have been treasonous because no one was equal to God except for the Son of God,
1: Jesus. Indeed, he was equal with God. He was God.
0: What was he doing in this moment while he was remaining silent that he might be crucified? That upon his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, he might speak on behalf of all sinners, pointing to his sacrifice for your sin and mine. The Jews did not have the authority to execute anyone and so they had to go to Pilate and convince him that Jesus was guilty of crimes worthy of execution. They lied about Jesus. We see there in chapter 23 at the outset, they said he was one misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And this indeed at best was Slanderous and at worst, a direct attack, declaring, wanting him dead. Jesus had not misled anyone, nor did he say that they should not pay taxes to Caesar. In fact, he had said just the opposite. If we look in Luke chapter 20, we're not going to tonight, but he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pilate was going to release him. Verses 13 to 16, we see in chapter 23, Pilate then called together the chief priests and rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. There's a footnote in your... Bibles Adding verse seventeen, if you noticed it jumped from sixteen to eighteen. well, there are some manuscripts that have now he was obliged to release one man to them at the festival. This points back to the practice that was uh, that took place during that day. Mark 15 verse six tells us that that Pilate had a practice of releasing prisoners at the time of the Passover, one at the behest of the people. Here was this. The context then for why the people said, release to us Barabbas. There was some expectation that Pilate was going to re- release someone, to offer to release someone. And they asked for an insurrectionist and a murderer. If anyone was a threat to Roman occupation, this man was. But Pilate released him, verse 25 tells us, and delivered Jesus over to them. Here it appears, if we were to change the wording of John Ethan, Edward's sermons, this is God in the hands of angry sinners. We have to ask ourselves, why was Jesus crucified? We need to keep this before us because the world would, would have us forget this, would have us reject this important truth, indeed this foundational truth. Why was Jesus crucified? Children, what would you answer if someone asked you that? Why was he crucified? Well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter says he was crucified because the Jews did it. They killed him, Acts 2.23 and Acts 2.36 tell us. But it also says there in Acts 2.23 that it was according to God's plan. Let me just read those words. His divine decree. Listen. Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter speaking to an audience of Jewish people and some others. So what do we see here? Because of the sin of humanity in the beginning, human history knew only death. Death hangs over all of humanity. The wages of sin is death. We've... Heard that already tonight. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, sent his Son to take our punishment. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. That's the difference. People say, Why do you think you're better than us, you Christians? You say, We're, we're not. We're not. We're those, however, who recognize the forgiveness of sins in Christ, who is God's provision. The one before whom all will one day give account. His provision for forgiveness. Jesus bore the sins of his people and took their punishment. He was numbered with the transgressors in order to satisfy God's just wrath against sin. The only one who can deliver from death is The eternal God, and God says about Himself that He is rich in mercy because of His great love. He sends His Son to die in our place to bear our punishment. In this event, we see the climax of man's rebellion against God. In the garden, our first parents said, We don't want God ruling over us, we know better. Equal to saying, We want Him dead. And that sin was our sin, for we sinned in them, the Bible says. All people are guilty of that sin. That treasonous act leaves all polluted and under the curse of death. Nothing, the Bible says, nothing impure can enter into God's presence. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven.
1: With the wicked God cannot dwell, Psalm 5, verse 4.
0: Any person who is to enter into God's presence must have his sin covered.
1: Why does the world hate Christians?
0: Faithful Christians quote Scripture, and in Scripture, God says that we are all guilty and need to repent of sin, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be delivered from eternal condemnation. Some things have not changed. Unbelievers make false charges about the church, twisting the words of the Bible to make Christians look like haters. And they twist the Bible's teaching just as the leaders twisted Jesus' words, saying to themselves, we need to make up lies to cover up the truth so that we can justify our hatred of those Who would want to speak about God and who would want to follow Jesus
1: Christ? What can cover sin? Only a perfect sacrifice.
0: In the Old Testament, the blood of animals was shed to remind the people that sin demands life. The life is in the blood, Leviticus 17 tells us. That's why we looked briefly at Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover and its background. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God offered sacrifices in obedience to God, keeping before them the penalty of sin, recognizing that this is what their sin deserved. But the blood of animals could not pay for man's sin. The only one who could satisfy for sin would be the one who was both human and divine. For humanity had to pay for sin. And this one needed to be sinless. This one would need to be divine to endure the full wrath of God against sin. Jesus Christ was that one. The question comes up, well, can't good behavior save? If we're good, can't we win our way back into God's presence? All other religions, save Christianity, give some such presentation of works righteousness. It is... God's word alone which says that we cannot come to him on our own merits for we indeed are not righteous. God says your salvation depends upon my gracious sacrifice on your behalf. Remember those bracelets some years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Those are good to a point. We should think about how we are to live, how we are to act as people of God. Those Redeemed by Christ and filled with His Holy Spirit, how should we live? But our behavior isn't what brings us to God, isn't what removes our sin, but rather it's what did Jesus do? What did He do for us? For that, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we see God teaching us through His Word. Can the law, can good living Justify, make someone righteous, reckon someone righteous in God's sight? And that question is put before us or is set before us and answered in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. By works of the law, no human being will be satisfied or will be justified in his sight, will be declared righteous in his sight. Rather, through the law comes knowledge of sin. In the law, we see God's righteousness and we see there's no possible way that we could establish that standard, that we could gain that standard before God. It's lost to us. We are conceived in sin. There's no way that we could even attain such righteousness. We sin against God every day. Verse 21 goes on, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I speak of that need for a holiness. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what God offers for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, a satisfaction for His just demands to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross indicated that he was cursed of God. Deuteronomy 21, 23 tells us that he who is hung on a tree is accursed of God. The Jews saw that and they said, that is right and that is true. He deserves a cursed death. They did not realize that he was indeed taking the place of the cursed sinner. That those who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. In his death, my sins are paid in full. Your sins are paid in full. Paul notes it this way. He says, God is both just, that is, receiving satisfaction for sin in Christ's death and justifier by graciously offering salvation to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To God belongs all the glory. He punishes our sin in his son and reckons us righteous in Christ so that we might live beyond the grave in his presence. I want you to listen carefully to that matter of forgiveness, because we say we believe that today, and yet there are so many today who refuse to be satisfied by any matter of reparations. You've heard me say this before, but I remind you again, forgiveness is hard to come by. There are as, as humans, we understand the idea of justice. Unbelievers, however perverted, they say there is no way to satisfy. I've been wronged and you owe me and you owe me perpetually forever and ever and ever. There is nothing you can do. This is a means by which they turn, as it were, the the spotlight from them and their guilt before God and say, no, I'm the victim here. I'm not the one who needs to repent and to seek forgiveness. I'm the one who's been wronged and you need to continually, perpetually, forever offer reparations. Well, dear brothers and sisters, if God were to act that way, there would be no hope for you and for me. But he offers forgiveness in his son. He says, I have punished sin in my son. It is finished, paid in full, Jesus says upon the cross. And those who believe in him then are reckoned righteous in him. In the darkness of Good Friday, all seemed lost, but here the Son of God offered the once for all sacrifice for sin. What happened? In the darkness of Good Friday, if you want to turn back to Isaiah 53, you can. We'll just read those verses or you can listen. Isaiah 53, what happened in the darkness of Good Friday? It was the Father's judgment of our sin as he bore it for us. Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation... In his hand. He was innocent yet condemned. so That God might be just and justifier. Of those who would believe in him. The son of God. Willingly endured the cross. Scorning its shame. For the joy set before him of providing salvation for all. Of God's people. And now he is not silent but pleads his blood for the salvation of those who believe before the father. How should we respond? Paul says this, I urge you then in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies all that you are as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that God can give you the help and the hope that you need to do that through the work of His Spirit. Our Savior's death was not meaningless, but necessary, purposeful, and powerful. In his dying, he gives new life and opens the way for the believing sinner to be spiritually nourished at the table of the Lord. The innocent was condemned to offer the guilty who
1: believe to have life with him forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Father, you chastise and you rebuke, you guide and direct because you love. You send your Son, and in Him
0: you do not withhold all of your wrath against sin, but pour it out completely such that he drank the dregs from the bottom of the cup and offered full satisfaction for all our sins.
1: In his suffering, he was forsaken. In his death, cut off from you. And you now offer us invitation to come, we who believe, for in him we have been reckoned righteous.
0: We thank you for that invitation. We pray that indeed it would lead us to reflect on all that we think and say and do, that all of our lives would be offered as living sacrifices to you whether in fellowship with other believers, whether in conversation with unbelievers, whether at work, whether at school, whether at home, whether away on vacation. Lord, forgive our many sins for his sake. Sanctify us for your glory.
1: Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: Number 337 is a song of response. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended. Therefore, kind Jesus, since I cannot pay thee, I do adore thee and will ever pray thee. Think on thy pity and thy love unswerving, not my deserving. That is how we come. In faith, let's stand to sing those five stanzas, number 337. Now, come to the celebration of lord 's Supper if you are visiting with us and you have made profession of faith in Lord Jesus Christ, our member in good standing in a bible believing church, and seek to serve the Lord and put to death your sin. you are welcome to participate as we reflect then upon what Christ has done. We are called to examine ourselves and we want to do that as we think upon this, we'll be reading from that form which is in your bulletin there hear these words beloved hear now the words of the apostle paul concerning the institution of the holy supper i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When our Lord said, Do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this holy supper as a constant memorial and visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, We proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take upon himself our flesh and blood and to bear the wrath of God on the cross for us. We confess that he came to earth to bring us to heaven, that he was condemned to die, that we might be pardoned, that he endured the suffering and death of the cross, that we might live through him that he was once forsaken by God, that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness, sealing to our hearts the promises of his gracious covenant and assuring us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children for the sake of his Son. Our Lord also promises that as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are fed by his crucified body and shed blood. To do this, he gives us his life-giving spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life-giving nourishment of our souls. And thus he unites us with himself and so imparts the precious benefits of his sacrifice to all who partake in faith. As a means of grace, This meal also unites us with one another in the bond of the Spirit, as the Apostle says. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. Finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. He commanded us to do this until he comes. Since he did that, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself. As we commune with him now under the veil of these earthly elements, we are assured that we shall behold him face to face and rejoice in the glory of his appearing. Our Lord Jesus will surely do what he has promised. Therefore, let us draw near to his table, believing that he will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of his coming to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. At the close of this prayer, we will join our voices together in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, with one voice, we give you thanks for all the blessings of your grace grace. Most of all, we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We humbly thank you that your son came to us in human form, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he rose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gospel of reconciliation for the church, universal for the ministry and the sacraments of the church and for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We pray gracious father that you would grant us your Holy Spirit that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table filling our hearts with humble gratitude for your mercies. Unite us more fully With our blessed Lord, and so also with one another, enable us in newness of life to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children, and lift our hearts to you, that in all the troubles and sorrows of this life, we may persevere in the living hope of the coming of our Savior in glory. Answer us, O God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we draw near to the table, let us also confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, We normally stand, but we will remain seated, saying together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness,
1: for they shall be satisfied." Beloved in the Lord
0: Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in
1: remembrance of me.
0: Beloved, take, eat, remember, and believe the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given under the complete forgiveness of all our sins. took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many
1: for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you.
0: Beloved, take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed
1: for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. As we reflect upon this great,
0: Sacrifice which our Lord and Savior has made, which the triune God has from eternity ordained. Let us confess these words together, read these words together responsively that are found there in your bulletin, words of Psalm 103. I will begin. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who forgives all your iniquity, who redeems your life from the pit, who satisfies you with good. Let us join our voices together now in song, turning to number 350 in our Trinity Psalter hymnal, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, and we'll sing those stanzas, standing to sing. Let's pray for the evening offering. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, You who have made us rich in Christ, we offer up our thanks and our praise to You for You and Your great mercy have given us Your Son to be our Savior. We bless You for permitting us to show forth His death and to receive the communion of His body and blood through the Holy Sacrament tonight, and to hear your word proclaimed that we might understand it. The meaning of this, we are those who have been richly blessed. As we know, there are needs amongst us. We recognize that as we have received generously, we are to give generously. Lord, work in our hearts the glory of the gospel in our justification reckoning us righteous before you, but also in our sanctification, recognizing our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, but in the love that we have for you, connectedness to you. Now hear us, we pray, as we take offering now for benevolence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Please stand to receive God's parting blessing. Doxology is printed on the back page of the bulletin. Sing those three stanzas of, O Jesus, we adore thee. After we hear these parting words of blessing from the Lord, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.